Welcome to the Mexibro Movie Show. This is a podcast about flautas and ninjas and menudo and explosions. Well, it's about some of those things. We want to take you on a journey. But before we do, we need to let you know this podcast does contain some adult language and content. If you are easily offended, I might suggest a different podcast. Oprah is surely to have one by now. Anyhow, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Mexi Bro Movie Show. It is officially the holiday season uh, again, Fred. Welcome. It is. It is. We're here. We made it. And uh, shopping season's in full effect, so, you know, my life is hell. So, uh, <laughs> what about you? Have you done all your Christmas shopping? Uh, not really. This is the weekend where I probably get that all taken care of, yeah. which really sucks because, like, with Amazon and all that, like, they're having backups and shit so i don't know how quickly my packages are going to arrive now right because it's such a busy holiday luckily dallas is like a distribution center so hopefully that shouldn't be a big deal uh lubbock is mm-hmm. not so if i order anything it's not going to arrive until like yeah, the flea market Day. doesn't deliver <laughs> well even with my close proximity it's still not going to get here in time <laughs> uh so we want to wish everybody a happy holidays or merry christmas kwanzaa hanukkah uh, <laughs> You're gonna leave some stuff out. I'm I'm pretty sure. I'm gonna try and wish everybody a, whatever they worship. You know, have at it. <laughs> Happy Life Day, folks. <laughs> That's right. It's time for Star Wars this Friday. That's right. As we're recording this, Star Wars is about to come out. It's it, and there are so many people that I know that are just freaking out. They're just I don't. God, they can't hold it in. They're just dead. and I've I've made the declaration to a lot of my family and friends. If you see it before me and you tell me anything about it. I will fucking kill you. I just will. And I'm very, very one. I like, I, I believe in peace and harmony, but I will fucking kill somebody. I promise. <laughs> That's a change from the last episode where you're just like, I refuse to even go in the theater. I'm going to let my wife see it. I'm going to sit in the parking lot. I got bitten by the hype bug since then, man. Like <laughs> you, you changed your tune after watching that Star Trek three on trailer. Oh my God. Yes, I did. And, and, uh, uh, man, I, I, I put this on my Facebook, but I think Hollywood, truly announced the death of star trek star trek dead at 50 <laughs> it was horrible it just looks so stupid nothing to do with star trek and they're, they're just i don't know anyway this is the mexi bro movie show where we are going to talk about a lot of different things or the first section is going to be about the movie the black hole which was uh released at christmas time 1979 the year of my birth and it was released against a, a movie called star trek the motion picture uh which you know be honest with you i'm not sure which one i liked better because they were both pretty terrible um <laughs> And then there, we're going to have an interview section in the middle where we talk to an investigative journalist by the name of Gilbert Zedmenio from Lorenzo, Texas, or Rawls, Texas. Or, or, or actually, we'll get more into where he's from because it's it's pretty interesting in that in that detail. And he went on to win Emmy awards, and uh, and he won, I, I believe, the Edward R. Murrow Award uh, for journalism. And he's covered a ton of different things. And it was really cool just to see where somebody comes from and where, you know, if you stay on on course with what you want to do, where you can go. I mean, even from the humblest beginnings, 
it, it was a fascinating interview, so fascinating that we decided to break this interview up into two parts. So it'll be part one this month, part two next month. Uh, and, uh, and I mean, there's just so much in there that we, I just couldn't bear to cut any of it. It was amazing. So yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're going to talk to, uh, we're going to have the hot Mexican minute with uncle Rob and he's going to go over a little film by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, what is it? Not death proof. It's the, uh, uh, planet terror, planet terror. Uh, yeah. The, I mean, the, I, I think this is his favorite movie. So this isn't going to be one that he, he necessarily hated, but he's going to give us some insight on what he thinks, uh, where they were going, uh, or wh- where they came from really when they wrote it, you know, so that's going to be interesting, you know, uh, good old Rob doing his thing. Um, and, uh, yeah. I hope it doesn't hurt your dream of having Robert Rodriguez on the podcast. <laughs> no, I, I think it'll help. I really do. Cause he's, a, he's a really big fan of Robert Rodriguez. So I don't think he'll, this is still a mystery to us. He hasn't recorded that at this point. So we're going to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, then right after that, um, we're going to have uh, a little bit about uh, what we call the Mira Que Look It. It's what we're into right now. That's our new segment. Uh, so we, we want you to kind of kind of get a vibe of what we're, we're into. And, and be sure to hit us on Twitter and tell us what you're into and let us know if there's something cool that you found or seen. So um, let's start with the, with the black hole. First, it took me a few tries to uh, find the right movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I watched about 42 red tube videos before I realized I was not watching what you wanted me to. I, I don't, I'm not sure I want to read your notes on that. But, you know, it's... <laughs> yeah, you may have to take the reins on this episode because my notes don't. And the the problem is you get out of work so late. So as you're watching this, like you're you're very tired, and and you you're probably melding all the actual movie with those <laughs> those red two videos. Yeah. So yeah, I got excited when I found it on on red two. I was like, oh my god, this is going to be America's sexiest podcast. <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, the the black hole. You know, as I said before, it was made in 1979. It was a Christmas release, and it was directed by Gary Nelson. Uh, who did like a lot of movies, man. He did like Freaky Friday and he did uh, a couple of like TV shows like Get Smart and then like Early Edition. You remember that show when when the guy would get a copy of the newspaper oh, yeah. Yeah, and they would have newspaper. the later day's news ahead of time so he could solve crimes. Uh, it was a really dumb premise. But... Yeah, it's one of those like grandparent TV shows that like my grandparents would love to watch on yeah, Saturday. If you ever wanted to know what your grandparents watched before like CSI and, yeah. and NCIS. <laughs> It was things like early edition, but uh, uh, he also directed a, a movie that I, I watched when I was a kid called Alan Quartermain in the Lost City of Gold. Oh my God. And, and I, I, I watched that and I, I, it was like one of the very first movies I saw in a theater. And uh, I remember my dad taking us to it. And I guess like my dad had seen the serial or the comic or something from, yeah. you know, when he was real young. And it coming off the heels of uh, of uh, Indiana Jones, you know, they were trying to find any property that could get into that vein. <laughs> yeah. And so somebody greenlighted Alan Quartermain and the Lost City of Gold, which I think was a sequel to, to something else. And uh, I remember loving it when I was a kid and uh, it was on Netflix. And so we watched it and it is by far the shittiest movie. I mean, like it is terrible. We could almost I, I, I think we might actually have to dedicate an episode <laughs> to it. It was horrible. So this guy for me is two for two. I don't remember Freaky Friday, but I'm pretty sure it was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, okay. The, the really cool thing, just a bit uh, of trivia for it. Um, this and the Star Trek The Motion Picture were the last films that actually used an overture. Uh, they would kind of try and set the mood for the film by playing a three to ten minute piece of music that, that was 
establish the themes. It was supposed to get your vibe ready for uh, the film. And, uh, you know, I think they discovered at this point it was unnecessary to put all that expense into it. But it was yeah. funny because when, when the movie starts, the overture kicks in and there's no credits, there's no nothing. So I'm sitting here thinking my, my TV died. You know, like, oh, shit, yeah. the LCD's gone. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering why that happened. I thought, like, I was like, Did my, is my Amazon not streaming properly? I was about to lodge a complaint. Right, no, it was just a film technique. I think they occasionally do overtures, like if you're if there's a film festival, yeah. they'll they'll insert one in, but they really don't at all anymore, uh, unless it's like a real special occasion like that. Um, but the music was done by um, uh, John Barry, John Barry, yeah. and he did a he did a couple of really interesting movies, like uh, Peggy Sue Got Married, and I think it was one of the first films Nicolas Cage was in. Uh, and then Howard the Duck, which was weird that, you know, I guess I never thought about that there was actually music in that movie because it's just kind of a train wreck. Um, I don't know, man. You know, it's just one of those uh, uh, interesting careers that this guy's had for a really long time. And uh, I think he did like Mercury Rising, like weird little movies. Like, yeah. I, I like that one of note because they kill Alec Baldwin at the end. That smug <laughs> bastard. Um, but yeah, no, it's interesting, uh, you know, and it's got a pretty awesome cast. Uh, you have Maximilian Schell, uh, who was like in, he played like Taya Leona's dad in, in Deep Impact. Uh, and then he, oh, yeah. he played, uh, he was in Judgment at Nuremberg. And then he played uh, Cardinal, Cardinal Alba in the, in the movie Vampires, the one with, um, uh, what, what is his name? James Woods. James Woods, you know, yeah. the John Carpenter's Vampires. Um, another Baldwin brother. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, when... Fat Baldwin. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't really... I can't really make fun of him for being the fat Baldwin because I would be like the fat Ramirez. So, you know, like... <laughs> so anyway. head of the the Ramirez dynasty. That's right. That's right. Um, and then it, of course we had uh, uh, Anthony Perkins. Holy shit, Anthony Perkins in a non creepy role. Like he got typecast for a long time of yeah. playing that that weird uh, creepy boy next door kind of character because of the movie psycho he played norman bates norman fucking bates and he's in a sci-fi uh, epic you know um disney wanted to th- this, <laughs> one of were... those words doesn't belong in that sentence. <laughs> uh, disney wanted to, to make a, a movie to to kind of combat star wars because it was such a success and then they had to go up against star trek you know <laughs> you know they picked the oldest fuckers in hollywood <laughs> to cast right. this <laughs> you know, at, at the time, it, it seemed like a good choice because they were all still pretty hot in their careers. You had uh, uh, Robert Forster, which, you know, I became consciously aware of for the film Jackie Brown, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino's movie. Yeah. Uh, he played across, uh, you know, who else was in that? There was, uh, shit, every act, uh, Robert De Niro and... and uh, I'm sure Samuel L. Jackson was in there somewhere. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson and, and Chris uh, Chris Tucker. You know, all these different uh, people that are in that. And uh, and he, he was in, like, Olympus Has Fallen, and he's in, he was in an episode of Breaking Bad, of all things, you know. He played, it's weird to see him as a young guy. Yeah, yeah. No, it, well, young-ish, because he's still... I don't think he was ever a guy. I think as a baby, he had 5 o'clock shadow just looking at <laughs> So uh, um, then, of course, Joseph Bottoms, who really... He, he had a somewhat lasting career. I think he's still alive. He's only about 60 or so. Um, but he did an episode of VIP. <laughs> you should write his eulogy. I think he's still alive. I think he's still alive. I'm pretty. That's, that's the best I have to say. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, he he did an episode Anthony of Anthony Fucking Perkins. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, come on, man. Robert Forrester and Anthony Perkins, as opposed to the guy you've never heard of. And then Joseph Bottoms. Come on, man. He's still alive. <laughs> I think he's still alive. Uh, Yvette Mimio, who, you know, did like the original Time Machine, which me and the kids watched a little while ago. It wasn't too bad. Um, where, the, where the guys are, or where the boys are, I'm sorry. And and then uh, she also did an episode of, of what is sure to be one of your absolute favorites, The Love Boat. Ooh. And then wrapping up the cast, of course, we had uh, Ernest Borgnine, who had kind of a lesser part. Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> you my- call that lesser part? A lesser, yeah, Harry Booth. I mean, he was only he had what twenty lines in the whole movie. The guy uh, on the the red tube video of the black hole I saw, his name was Ernest Borg Nine Inches. <laughs> he had a he had an important part near the end, but he had it, he had like the the like one of the most uh, complex action sequences where he had to <laughs> pretend he broke his leg <laughs> and then jumped up and ran. Yeah, well, uh, well, we'll get into that. Okay, so but Ernest Borgnine, of course, from uh, he was the other half of Airwolf. You know, throwback to to Jan Michael Vincent in Airwolf. So did one. Yeah. So you know, he. I feel complete now because in two episodes we've knocked out our favorite show. So <laughs> I think we can end this podcast, Fred. It's coming to an end. It's run its course. Yep, yep. And then, of course, the the two little robots. One was uh, Roddy McDowell, who played uh, Caesar in uh, Planet of the Apes. And and who played Bob? Uh, Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens. Good old Slim Pickens. <laughs> Everybody, everywhere. You, you know, know, it sounds like what's that dude on? Uh, it may have been him, but uh, on uh, Back to the Future Three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, and I think he was also in Doctor Strange Love. But uh, they have a bit part now. I, I think what they were trying to do with that, the robots was like make. Uh, a stab at Star Wars. They were trying to get uh, the cuteness of R two D two and the annoying annoyingness <laughs> bullshit quality of C three PO and 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 just meld it into one robot and then give him an exact duplicate of himself with a country accent. Um, it was very weird. Like he th- that character just had like the random bullshit sayings. Like uh, like what was one? Uh, you, you can't fill a pint with a quart. Uh, and even if you can fill it with a pint, it's doing the best it can. You're just like, what the fuck? And like, uh, th- there's no reason that you would put sentience into a robot to give it bullshit things to say. You know. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, basic overview of the plot: they just, it's a crew in a ship called the Palomino. They're flying through space. They they come across a derelict spacecraft that that appears dead. They go in close and they they explore the ship. It's really close to a black hole. Uh, and they're trying to figure out why it's not being pulled in. And uh, the the ship comes to life. They blow a few circuits on their ship, so they're they're kind of in in danger at this point. And they decide to set down on the ship and and go explore. And um and and there's a scene, I guess, when they're trying to introduce that some something else is actually on the ship, a, a humanoid of some kind. And uh and the door opens, and I was just like, oh, what, what's the name of that uh, that electronic band? Oh, Daft Punk. Yeah, and then for some yeah. reason, like I was, I was like, gonna... <laughs> Daft Daft Punk is in this movie. That's yeah, fucking cool, you know. They the the robots are introduced, and they're like these security guards that roam the ship. They end up taking the this tram that's the length of the ship. They get on it, and it's like so. I mean, it's so quaint and goofy. It's they're <laughs> just flying around. Yeah. Uh, it's like the world's most boring roller coaster. Yeah. They, they get to the, the 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 bridge of the ship and they get in and uh, there's this giant red robot who doesn't really say anything, but it's it's menacing in appearance. 
for some reason in, in its armpits it has these uh these blender blades that just pop out and just start going towards people i, I like i didn't understand why <laughs> why that would be the weapon of choice you know yeah it's like it's like i'm gonna do this and if you come towards me <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like exactly if you're if like it's swinging its arms about and saying i'm not gonna i'm not gonna punch you i'm just gonna be in yeah. your area and if you happen to get hit <laughs> then that's your fault but uh, so dr reinhardt at, at this point a new character gets introduced he turns around and is like we see max shell now to me it was like well this movie's super boring uh and so let's put the most interesting man in the world on the bridge of that <laughs> ship because he's got the exact same look almost like you what do you yeah. imagine the accent to be for that guy it yeah. looks like the 70s version of him. he's got like a medallion or something like that. <laughs> that was two or something he's crazy Face. and he's he's uber confident like a little bit they kind of talk about he has he has uh, a lot of hubris apparently yeah uh, but he's scared of his robot i never understood that or maybe i fell asleep during that because there's that scene where he's just like save me from maximilian oh yeah and that's like a throw-off line because at the end he's like all right max i guess we are in this together you know he he tells them though that it's just me i found the black hole we're gonna find the mysteries of the black hole this is the last unanswered secret for mankind so he's he's hell-bent on going in there and finding out what the deal is um and and over time i mean there's a lot of shit that happens that i mean it's just human interaction just curiosity being around that's the best that's the best way to describe the rest of the plot it's like a lot of shit happened a lot of shit well i mean like walking they just discover the ship they're like this giant ship he's the only human left everybody else apparently evacuated you you find more out as time goes on but i mean it's done in such a dull way like this movie could, if they had cut like the languishing, just sections of the film that had, that were more. I, I think I think a lot of it had to do was like some of the story was that they had wanted to go and use the same gear that Star Wars had, so they had gotten industrial light and magic to to use some of their the matte screening effects, yeah. and uh, ILM set a rate and they said no, um, that's way too much. So they they rejected ILM and went off and made their own. They ended up actually making better stuff than what ILM had. And so, I mean, I think in essence what they were trying to do is showcase this new technology that they developed. And and by doing so, they just like held on to long shots way too long. They put a lot of scenes where people are walking down long corridors <laughs> and, and you just you just got a sense that they were really, really proud of the work, but they were letting it overtake the narrative. And and, and it just made the film drag so bad, you know, it looked- it looked good though if you were to give it a, a direct comparison for special effects to the star trek the motion picture i i actually do think that it did better in that respect everything costume designing alone yeah, is right. better than star trek the motion picture i think the film just kind of goes on and on anthony perkins dr durant he he gets to uh he gets to uh, appreciating dr reinhardt and he he kind of gives like an uh, indication that he wants to stay and discover the rest of the world uh, that is in front of them or the the black hole what's inside because they really don't know and he, he's kind of like there there was some kind of interplay between them that was almost it was almost romantic in nature just like almost like this okay. it was weird I, I, I did you pick up on that or is that just me did i just uh, want them to kiss i think that's all you want the only thing i picked up on is anthony perkins phoning it in <laughs> yeah oh really <laughs> Yeah. man i think i just really wanted them to kiss i guess i don't know but uh i just it was really kiss, kiss, kiss. <laughs> was that from 30 rock yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice. Yeah. laughs> 
Um, but he decided uh, he decides to stay at one point. Um, Bob the robot kind of, for some reason, takes like three quarters of the film to go like, hey, dudes, I'm going to fill you in what's going on. You know, the crew that was evacuated, they're not gone. They're actually dead or kind of dead. They're, they've actually been converted to all the robots that you see around. They're mindless automatons. Their only release is going to be death. And I think he actually uses that term. It's just one of those things where they're like, yeah, there's no hope of saving them. Uh, I'm sorry I told you this now as opposed to when it would have been less weird for y'all to leave. Um, but uh, here here you go. And uh, the crew decides to board their ship and try and leave. Now, now one thing I didn't mention before, for some reason, Vincent and Yvette Mimio's character... Uh, they have a psychic link for some reason. Oh, yeah. And, and the only thing I can think, it's like a plot device to kind of like how she could know things without a direct yeah. communication that could be monitored. <laughs> um, and it, it's pretty weird. I, I think they're just like, they get recalled to the ship. Uh, Anthony Perkins and Yvette Mimio stay behind just long enough to kind of satisfy the doctor while they're prepping the ship to leave, that's when they discover that all the robots are are people. And uh, and at, at first, Anthony Perkins doesn't uh, he doesn't believe it or doesn't want to believe it. And in, and he challenges his doubt. And he walks up to one of the robots and he pulls the mask off. And uh, the the once he releases the mask, of course, you know the he sees that it's a human face underneath. It's kind of dried up and shriveled and stuff. He realizes, oh shit. They are people. And he, he kind of is a guest, and they, they immediately break for the door. Of course, it closes. Maximilian bars their escape, and, and uh, I guess like to silence them, he turns on his uh, salad makers, and he he grinds through a book that uh, that Dr. Reinhardt had given to Anthony Perkins, and uh, as he's holding it up, it, it gets shredded to pieces, and then the blades go through the book. And and it, it I'm like why would why wouldn't you just get out of the way is my like <laughs> so fast and, but I mean like he had time to put a book in front of him like just get out of the way like that robot doesn't have elbows or anything it's just like you know I think that was just Anthony Perkins going just like just take me Lord <laughs> get me out of this fucking movie get me out of this so it uh, it ends up going into his chest and I just in my own mind. It, like I just kind of figured there was something super graphic that happens there that they don't show. Yeah, um, I'm just programmed to just expect like blood splatter and gore, and I'm just like, oh, this is a Disney movie. That's right. And then All you know, we got is Anthony Perkins going, oh, side. That was a great impression. Uh, and and he flies, yeah, he flies to the side. You don't ever see any blood, but because of that that movie, this is the first time that uh, that Disney made a movie. Um, that was PG rated because of that scene because they kill Norman Bates. I guess like Dr. McRae uses her telepathy to tell Vincent that, uh, that uh, Anthony Perkins is dead and she needs some rescuing and that the, the, the crew of the Palomino break from the ship to go back to the, the Cygnus to rescue Dr. McRae. And all the while Ernest Borgnine, he ends up getting a bit more punchy as time goes on because he wants to get the hell out of there and he, he feels like the longer they wait, the more in danger he is. So he kind of referencing what you were talking about earlier, he fakes a leg injury. Yeah, which I don't understand why he bothered to leave the ship in the first place when they went to go rescue her. Because first the, the captain leaves, uh, Robert Foster, Dan Holland, he leaves. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, hey, butt, or what's that other guy's name? Bottoms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Bottoms, yeah, yeah. Joseph butt bottoms he's just like he's like okay he's like you guys stay stay as long as you can or something like that and then i guess they get captured or surrounded by daft punk robots 
And then he decides to go down there and save him. He's just like, hey, come on, man. You want to be a, a hero or whatever that you're always saying you are to Ernest Borgnine? So Ernest Borgnine leaves anyway with him. Like he's going to be a part of the rescue mission when all he ends up doing is like faking a broken leg and then running back to the ship. And I was just like, why'd you even leave the ship to begin with? Why, why wouldn't you just stay behind and be like, um, you know what? I'm going to keep the engines warm. Yeah, yeah really. I, this ship needs monitoring. There's no reason that you, you you don't even need to make anything up. Just just say I'm good. I'll keep the, everything running. When you guys get in, we're out of this bitch. That's all he yeah, had to really. do, you know. But he he goes out there, and I guess they they just wanted to demonstrate that he was at that point of like you know he was doing his audition for Airwolf. He's like, check this out, guys. <laughs> So they fly, or, or they they he goes out there and saves the day. The younger Mister Bottoms, but Bottoms, but but Bottoms runs out there and he saves um he he saves the day. The crew and they they're like, wait, yay, we win. Yeah, like he comes out there like a cowboy with those like rip off laser tag guns. He's like pew pew pew. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't he like twirl his guns or something? He, yeah, one of them does. I think there's a point where he says yeehaw, yip yeehaw, like really, really high pitched. It was one of those like moments you're like, there was no reason to put that in there. Oh, come on. Come on. There was no reason. And they just let him ad lib something dramatic and he's like, Well, I did do a I was on an episode of Gunsmoke. You know, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure he was on an episode. Yeah. From a guy who watches a lot of gunsmoke. Like I'm pretty sure everybody in this cast has been, <laughs> so. been an episode again. Well, that show was on for like 90 years. So, um, so from there, Ernest Borgnine's character decides to save himself, and he gets um, back into the ship. He runs off, uh, and he decides to launch, and everybody's like, "That fucking asshole!" Except that it was a Disney movie, so it so it came out as, "Oh shucks!" <laughs> like, "Oh shucks." And so, like, we're, he flies off, and Except it's... Except for, like, the captain. He seemed to be thinking, like, he's like, maybe he had a different motivation. He's try- he's actually trying to help us, like... Uh, no. He's buying us some time, or doesn't he say some shit like, like he intended to get blown Oh, no, no, no. I, 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 think, I think the captain was, like, going, like, hey, he might have been an asshole, but that, that ruse, like, we didn't realize that if we had taken off, we would have been blown up, so we got to thank him for being the oh, sucker. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think that was <laughs> what it... <laughs> I think that was that was like the Tonya. So like it was really funny to me because like when he launches, uh, Doctor Reinhardt commands Maximilian to, to wait until they're far enough away and then blow them oh, out yeah. of the water or out of the stars. And and as they as he launches, Doctor Reinhardt suddenly is like afraid. And it, and it might be because maybe maybe Harry Booth is not a, a pilot, so he launches and it it seems like he's like shoot it down before it collides into it. So like he's like can tell that the the, the guy behind the wheel is not a. Uh, an actually good pilot so they they end up shooting it which of course causes it to lose control completely and then smash into the ship causing a lot of damage and then all hell breaks loose so they're like you know what we're just gonna go ahead and launch into the black hole um and then out of no fucking where there's a giant untracked meteor storm that's being pulled into the black hole that nobody saw coming yeah you know and then they're and for some reason they're like glowing orange like like i'm I'm don't like they weren't burning through atmosphere there's no reason why they should have maybe they were like completely radioactive uh you know they were they were or they were from planet krypton or something and it just blown up oh planet krypton (laughs) green asteroids (laughs) (laughs) The, the asteroids hit the ship 
and they uh, and they start like like I mean they just totally destroy different pieces of like the asteroids will break into the ship at different points cause hole breaches the crew decides you know well they have no escape ship we'll just get the probe ship that they have and we'll we'll just get into that and launch and wherever it goes we'll just go as this is happening different pieces were were uh, they were breaching the hole and chasing the crew there, there's a couple of scenes that I don't know what they were necessarily thinking when they did the storyboards for it I was too into the into the action to be worried about like this doesn't make any sense no I was totally like, finally some action <laughs> I mean I, we, we just glossed over it compared to how long this movie takes it's like a two hour movie yeah um, no, it's like an hour and a half and I felt that 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 dinner scene was probably about two hours right <laughs> Right. Yeah, anyway, getting back to the the action, like this movie had a very selective view of what it thought would happen in space. Like there was, you know, anti gravity. There'd be loss of pressure uh, and atmosphere. Temperature changes as you release things into the vacuum of space. Um, you know, there there was a lot of things that that you know that happen, and there are a lot of dangers certainly for any space travel in general. And I think there are a lot of movies that that represent that stuff pretty well. This movie was not one of them. <laughs> Like, there's a scene where they're running through a garden to get away from robot guards. Part of the the roof is smashed, which is also the hull. So instead of just immediately sucking out the atmosphere and everybody getting pulled out with it, instead, you it just turns to winter. Like, everything gets really yeah, cold starts, in winter. Everything's frozen, like, right away, like, as soon as that breaches through. But they, they're still held to the ground, no problem. Um, there's a, there's one scene where, where the, where Bob, it's either Bob or it's Vincent busts out like a straight up, uh, uh, Iron Man move where his arms stick straight out and he shoots a solid laser and spins around to cut things. And I was like, dude, that's like legit. Why didn't he do that earlier? Like tell everybody hit the ground and then just spin around and kill everything in, in front of him. But even he doesn't do that for any real reason because all he does is cut down a tree to make it fall on two robots. You're just like you could. Yeah. You could have just instead of cutting through the robot. You could have cut through all the robots at once, but you just did that to cut through a tree. I, <laughs> I don't get it, you know. But they move on to the probe ship. They get inside and they decide to buckle in and launch. And there's no buckles in anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the same. It was a simpler time. You know, there weren't any buckles in any of the yeah. cars. Anyway, it's like on the the original ship, like when they when the ship was spinning around, floating out, or like trying to stay in their seats, and the seats are like office chairs that have wheels on them. And I was just like, how are they floating? <laughs> and then these they're in these office chairs that aren't even bolted down to the ground they're just like people really thought people in the 70s early 80s are extremely dumb <laughs> well you know it, yeah no seat belts on so they're not floating out of these well, seats. you know fred i mean they had to keep their production costs down you know that, oh yeah it's disney yeah they <laughs> gotta watch the money <laughs> but they they put the they launched the ship there there is one scene where it's you know the 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 Cygnus, the giant ship takes a beating and a giant flat screen TV falls on, uh, onto Dr. Reinhardt. And he's like, yeah, help me, help me. Spock. I'm not, that's, like, help I'm, me Spock. I'm emoting as much as that dude is like, I'm not kidding. It was like, <laughs> it was, help me. Okay. You know, <laughs> we will die together. And, and, uh, eventually the ship breaks apart. He gets launched in, into space and you're like, good, you're in space now. The cold vacuum of space, all those innocent people that you turned into the undead robots. Fuck you, dude. You know, this is your up and comings. But no, he's like floating out in space for what has to be at least, you know, five or six minutes, which would be instant, I mean, or, or, or certain death. You know, there's nobody out in space by themselves for five minutes. It's going to come back, um alive you know and and but he's okay and then maximilian the robot which is really funny because the music that's there is so 
tender. Like I, I, I think maybe I had like some, maybe maybe I'm just feeling a little amorous right now, but it, it almost seemed like he and the robot made love at that. Oh yeah, point. like that. I'll give you that because that was a little strange to me. Like they came up close to each other in the, it, and they were just like almost embracing each other. And it was it was like it was like you could hear the robot's voice go, "I want you to be inside me." Come inside me. <laughs> and, and so, of course, the next scene is... Is, is exactly that. <laughs> the, the, Dr. Reinhardt is inside Maximilian's where they're bonded forever. But he, here's the funny thing about it. Um, he doesn't really have any real armholes because you can see where the the tools that are his clamps and, and the razor blades and stuff, they come out. But they're not, they're not like cavities that somebody could put inside their arms and neither are his legs his legs are just like kind of like yeah he's like a floating torso (laughs) yeah essentially like with a head that that turns around i just i thought it was really weird had to fold them up in a weird position (laughs) or like slice off his legs and arms and put them to get him inside now he's like he's peering through the little little like laser red eye hole that maximilian had and, and you can see him looking around which I can, I think they're implying by the way he looks around, his eyes are kind of frantic that it's terrifying. But, and so, I mean, you saw where he was. <laughs> it looked like he was in hell. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, like, so he's he's looking around, and and the, the key point of the story was supposed to be that time and space do not matter at the center of the black hole. So yeah. obviously, he and whatever automatons that survive are going to be stuck in this point where time doesn't matter, and he's going to be for all eternity trapped inside Max a million. And, uh, and so, you know, that is the up and comings, but you know, in reality, he would have been dead in the vacuum of space way before that ever happened. So, um, you know, whatever, I I guess (laughs) you're you're expecting a lot out of a Disney movie. You're lucky there wasn't like a singing bear (laughs) that popped up. Yeah. Right. Fuck that. Captain Hook. And he gets brought into never, never land, but you know, (laughs) the the second star on the left was actually a black hole that transports you through. Um, but I, I was just like, man, you know, whatever. Okay, fine. And then, so you see the probe ship go through. It's a hallway kind of reminiscent of 2001, A Space Odyssey, yeah. where they're just traveling through a glittery hallway for a while. That's, I guess it's implying forward motion is what they're trying to do, and an unnatural forward motion. And then it, there's a woman dressed up as a maid or a goddess, or I don't, I don't know. I, I think I, I hate her. Goddess. You know, the, the, they all look alike to me. I really don't know what her character w- was supposed to be. There was some strong symbolism in there that I'm sure was relevant to, you know, 1960s and 70s culture that, uh, that is lost on us today. They emerge from the other side. There's like this glowing planet that appears to be a sun and, uh, and the, the probe ship, flies directly into the heart of it now so but i just assume it would be a super white hot place and so the probe goes towards it i assume to their death the end good riddance and i'm glad that it ended that way because that would have left up an opening for a black hole too (laughs) two black holes two black holes oh (laughs) let me google that (laughs) two black holes no fred you'll you'll i won't we won't ever see you again i'm gonna spell it (laughs) t-o-o two black holes when they went into the black hole like they were behind a bookshelf would you recommend watching this film to anyone uh would i recommend it now in the world of like where a new star wars movie is coming out uh, <laughs> yeah and- i can i can see uh like if i had watched it more than like the fragmented fragmented times that i had seen it as a kid i, I could probably it would probably hold a special place in my heart just as uh 
don't know. I mean, just a, it, was, it was just like something in my memory of just like, oh man, my childhood. I remember that movie from when I was a kid. But uh, no, I probably wouldn't recommend it just because of, I don't know a, a space epic that is pretty boring. Yeah, I mean, as far as the epics go, this one's pretty lame. It's like Star Trek with like none of the with light philosophy and none of the action. Or any of the... Exactly, like Star Trek, the motion picture. There was... Yeah, right. Uh, I, I think that it was just another whiff. I, I, you know, I, I think that the the dynamic of what an action movie was had, had shifted so dramatically after the su- success of Star Wars that, you know, I, I think people were tr- still trying to figure out what that was. And, and it was like, well, maybe it's the effects that people like. So we'll just make a movie with tons of great effects. And, uh, and, and you're talking about this movie? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, compared to probably it had like the, the old, the old timey future, the futuristic version of an old timey, like a shootout, like a target game. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Well, I mean like they were trying to insert certain things that would be reminiscent of, uh, of other genres to make it a little bit more accessible. Not just Uber nerds would enjoy it. I think the problem is is that they missed the story and they didn't really define the characters really well, so you didn't really care so much. Even even whenever they, the, Kate McRae, her father was missing, and it's like this big mystery for her, and it's it's like completely you know a letdown to find out what happened. Oh, he's dead! Like immediately they walk through the door and they're like, "Yeah, your dad's oh, dead. It's not a big yeah. deal. You can move on now." And she doesn't have any moments where she's just like contemplating her father's death or wants to know more about what happened. It's just like, "Oh, well, he's dead now. Eh, I'm cool." What are we eating for dinner? You know, and, and it just, it just, none of the characters are really cared too much about. Um, you think that you would feel this way? Like, would, like, well, I guess you said you were born when this movie came out, but do you think, like, if, like, five year old Noel would be like, ah, what? This story isn't progressing the way it is. No, well, I think, I think five year old Noel would have been like, hmm, when are like, the, yay, I get to watch TV. <laughs> where are the kids? Where are the kids? Uh, you know, where other kids might have been able to, you know, watch TV a lot. Uh, I, I was always having to ask permission to do stuff. It was like really weird. Um, but th- no, I, I think I would have been so bored by the whole thing that at the end I would have been, uh, I, I would have been happy to see things explode, but I wouldn't, it wouldn't have made any sense to me. In fact, I think that's all I gathered from it. It was that I didn't even realize that it was a, like a zombie movie, you know, like I, di- I didn't even realize that it had anything special about it in that way, you know, and, and that it was a mad scientist film, you know, I would not recommend it. I, I just thought it was so silly and, and, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that hold this movie as a beloved film, but I, I think that, you know, you had to be in that era. I don't think that a, a person under the age of like, say 40, um, could walk into this and see it and then be like oh man that movie it just spoke to me you know but anyway i don't don't know Uh, so i give it a i give it a i get on the scale of five tamales i give a zero tamales actually that's not that's not a scale we use so i was about to say like first we have a scale (laughs) i introduced the scale first off like why would you need a scale because like your rating is (laughs) it's it's an honor enough i like it who who wouldn't want tamales (laughs) (laughs) on this uh, i give it a zero this one is this is definitely an an open it was i mean it had its merits but not enough to save it i mean i don't i wouldn't it was a very dull film for most of it and man yeah yeah, i'm just looking up i was like wow this film actually had action figures (laughs) Wow, um, that's the most boring. Like these figures have way too much articulation. For, wow, they have more articulation than Star Wars figures. Wow, from that era. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. like certain ones are 
infinitely better than others even on the shitty projects they're like um <laughs> anyway like uh, uh, coming up next we do have an interview with gilbert zervino and he's got some uh insight on on what it takes to be an investigative photojournalist and he's just got a he's an amazing storyteller anyway so i mean even if he didn't do as much as he's accomplished uh i would i would still want to hear the story it's pretty amazing um but uh now a word from our sponsor hello my beautiful friends out there keeping up with the latest trends and styles can be difficult but it doesn't have to be just talk to angelo at luvon salon with over 20 years experience in haircuts and stylings highlights hair color perms and waxing you'll be looking and feeling your absolute best mention this ad by march 1st 2016 for a 40% discount off a cut and style limit one per customer make an appointment today by calling 806-474-2403 or stop by the luvon salon at 3624 50th street in lubbock texas in the mediterranean shopping center let angelo make it easy for you And we're back. Joining us from Phoenix, Arizona, is a very special guest uh, who is a, wow, he has a, a job title that's a mile long. Actually, he has two job titles, so it's like two miles long. Uh, it is He is an investigative producer uh, and photojournalist for CBS Television Studios in Phoenix, uh, Arizona. Uh, he is also uh, an adjunct honors professor uh, at Arizona State University in the Walker, Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. School of Journalism. Man, um, I probably could take a note or two from learning how to do your job, man. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Zedmenu, his name is, by the way, Gilbert Zedmenu. He is a, a very um, historied uh, journalist who's been all over the world. He has done interviews with tons of people. He's produced segments with... Uh, um, just off the top of my head, uh, let's just go with the, the one that has, has been kind of like a very uh, exciting moment uh, for me was what I got to see the photography stuff that you uh, with photos with you with the president of the United States of America. Uh, yes, that's you, right. you did uh, even somewhat almost as impressive. There was a, a piece that you did with Don Henley of the Eagles. <laughs> yeah, we recently interviewed uh, interviewed him, sat down and uh, chatted with him right before his concert in, uh, at the uh, Dodge Theater down here in downtown Phoenix. That is awesome. And there is, I mean, a litany of, I mean, just tons of people in between. And can uh, just briefly, and I, I, I know I don't want you to toot your own horn or anything like that. That's not what this question is, but it's more um, <laughs> to to kind of give an, an insight of the of some of the people that you've interviewed uh, or produced segments for. Um, can you can you just give us a couple? Starting with Don Henley and working our way backwards. Yeah, sure, sure. Why not? <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, Don Henley, uh, Barack Obama. Uh, they we we can go backwards from there and do some sports legends: uh, Charles Barkley, uh, Michael Jordan, um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, I've shot Larry Bird and uh, Magic Johnson on the the floor of uh, the. The Madhouse on McDowell here in Phoenix. Uh, I've shot uh, Michael Jordan as he has been introduced at the old Chicago Stadium. Um, I've traveled with Governor, uh, the Governor of the State of Arizona, down to the majority of the uh, countries down in uh, Panama Canal, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Honduras, uh, places like that. I've traveled with the Air 161st during Desert Storm One to Saudi Arabia. 
uh, to Jeddah, uh, flew a mission over Iraq to refuel a AWACS jet. Um, let's see what else. Uh, gosh, it goes on and on. And <laughs> no, that's that's fantastic. I mean, like. I have uh, I uh, just wanted to kind of get a little bit because you are from West Texas. You are you, yes. you didn't uh, you didn't start out in Phoenix, Arizona. You actually had your start in Canyon, Texas. Is that correct? Uh, I got my start in Amarillo, Texas. Oh. I went to school at West Texas State University. Um, up to my junior year, I got an internship with the local CBS affiliate there in Amarillo, KFDA. It was a paid internship, which you don't get, you don't hear a lot of these days. No. Uh, and then it turned it turned into a thirty-hour-a-week job, um, and uh, I was learning one thing, getting paid for it, and then going to school and paying someone else to teach me something different. So I thought to myself, you know, I've got a job, I can always go back to school. And uh, so I dropped out and started my career in Amarillo, Texas, and moved from the, the CBS station there to the NBC station, was fired from there <laughs> in, in uh, 1986. Everyone gets fired at least once in their lifetime. They should. And uh, wound up uh, here in Phoenix, Arizona in 1986. Uh, and I started working for the then CBS station, Channel 10, um, KTSP. Worked there for nine years, and then when the CBS affiliation switched channels in 1994, I started working for now KPHO, the CBS station, and I've been there ever since. Now, backing up just a little bit into your childhood, um, you were born in in what part of West Texas? <laughs> well, the the uh, interesting part of my childhood is that I was born in the backseat of a car, <laughs> and. Uh, I, I often kidded with my mom and my dad that I was probably born in the same place I was conceived because <laughs> I, I was the youngest child of five. And it was uh, September 1st, 1961, uh, middle your, of the night. Your conception date or your birthday? <laughs> my birthday. Okay. The September, okay. September 1st, 1961. Mom went into labor. Uh, dad... Uh, Threw her in the, didn't throw her, uh, put her in the car. I'm assuming gently put her in the car and uh, was going to drive her over to the midwife, which uh, lived nearby, apparently. And um, he picked her up, and I'm not exactly sure where they were driving, but they hit some railroad tracks, oh, no. hit a bump. Oh, no. it, was, it was time for me to come out. And they pulled over to the side of the road. I was born, and then they drove back home. And the next morning, my two brothers and two older sisters and two older brothers uh, had a, a bouncing baby uh, brother, small brother. Wow. And in uh, on my and I know that I was born on the side of the road because on my birth certificate, it literally says Farm to Market Road, such oh, and such, such and such and such miles from the Gilmore Farms. Wow. So. Short of longitude and latitude, I mean, that's just, <laughs> just take a guess as to where it is. Look, look, look for, you got to look for, uh, you know, look, look for some railroad tracks near that road. That's, that's where I was born. So I was born on the road, which is probably what took me out of West Texas. Right. Is. Yeah. <laughs> so with uh, uh, your childhood, you you grew up on the farm uh, area. You did. Uh, your your parents were migrant uh, migrant workers, and um, they lived in a smaller community that wasn't quite in between, or it was it was in between a couple of towns, I guess. But you literally were raised 
in the middle of a field almost in a sense, you know? Yeah, we we were raised, let's see, the nearest big town was Lubbock, Texas. And Lubbock to me back then was just huge. Um, we lived in between Rawls and Lorenzo, Texas, which are east of Lubbock, about 30 some odd miles east of Lubbock. And then we lived about uh, 17 miles south of those communities. And those communities had probably a population of about maybe 800, 900 people each. And we lived 17 miles out of that, and in the, literally in the middle of uh, cotton fields. Wow! Uh, and you know, when we went out to play, we had, you know, we had all the room in the world. Um, the the part that I miss is watching the sunrise and the sunset with nothing to block your view, oh, yeah. and yeah. and the and the great big sky at night, you know, because you can see all the stars. The other thing, the other advantage of living out there and in the middle of uh, nowhere is that you can see your friends and your enemies driving towards you from a miles away. <laughs> <laughs> a little cloud of dust coming your direction. That's right. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, but, uh, yeah, we, you know, we played, we played out, outside. We played outdoors. You know, my, my hands were dirty and my fingernails were dirty. And, uh, and then we, when we weren't going to school, we were, we were working. And uh, summers when all my uh, my uh, students, my, my buddies at uh, school were going to other places, Lake Tahoe and New Mexico and Taos and all these other wonderful places to go on their family vacations. I didn't look forward to it because we were going to have to get up at six o'clock in the morning, sharpen our hose and go to the cotton fields and cut weeds. <laughs> and I could not wait to get back to school. <laughs> wow. So being on that, I, I did have a question. Growing up during the you know late '60s and through the '70s, the the priority for Hispanic education in many families and, and in the school systems, well, there wasn't much of a priority set for Hispanic children. And uh, how did you find yourself on track to go to college? Uh, I love school. I love school more than I loved um, working out in the hot uh, West Texas sun. Right. And I just knew that there was so much more out there um, through the TV screen. <laughs> uh, my mom and dad, there were two shows that my mom and dad watched pretty religiously. And uh, one was The Young and the Restless because my mom loved the uh, soap <laughs> opera. And there was, there, was, there, was, there was no Spanish language television stations back then. So you had a choice of three stations. Yeah, Channel 11, the NBC, Channel 13, the CBS, and Channel 28, which was the ABC station at the time. And you had soap operas in the middle of the day. So my mom would watch the soap opera in the middle of the day when uh, either Dad would come home for lunch or we would come home for lunch. And that's, and we would watch the uh, CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite at the end of the day wow. to find out what, 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 what was going on in the world. And because mom and dad were uh, Spanish speakers only, they really relied on people's gestures, the video, or no, sorry, the film, what the pictures, and how they were strung together to tell a story so that they could get what the story actually was. Hmm. So somewhere back in my little, little mind, that, that made a connection. And in the sixth grade, there was a... Um, what do you call those days when they bring in a bunch of professionals? It was uh, career, career day. Career day, yeah. yeah. 
So in the sixth grade, there's this career day at Lorenzo, uh, Lorenzo's, the Lorenzo Elementary School. And it was the first year that they allowed sixth graders to be a part of the high schoolers' uh, uh, sessions. And there was this guy named Bill Maddox who was coming to visit the school. And he was the main anchorman in Lubbock, Texas at KAMC. And so obviously he was a local celebrity. They're like, wow, the main the anchor, Bill Maddox is coming. And at the time, it didn't really, I was like, you know, yeah, Bill Maddox, okay, oh, yeah, he's a celebrity. Yeah, I want to go see him. He had two sessions, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And I went to the one in the morning. It was in the biggest room that the school had, which was the band hall. And uh, I went with my friend, uh, Victor Landon, we called him Pinky. And Pinky and I sat in the front row, and we listened to Bill Maddox talk about uh, his job and how every day when he was going into work, he had no idea what he was going to do. He had no idea what the stories that what, what was going to happen the news. So every day was a brand new day for him. And if he made a phone call to the mayor or to the police chief or to, you know, you know, fill in the blank, he would get a return phone call. And I was like, wow, that is a really important man right there. He went on to say, but the people who have the best jobs, I think, are the photographers. Those are the guys that get to go out with me and take pictures and shoot the interviews and they get to do everything that I get to do. But when they go out and have a meal out in public, nobody comes up or, uh, to bother them for an autograph <laughs> or stares at them while they're eating, you know, or whispers about them. They're, they're, they have the creative juices to put all those stories together. And, uh, and, and that's when I got hooked. I was like, that's what I want to do. Wow. I want to be, be a photographer for a television news station. So I knew in the sixth grade, I'm kind of a freak and an anomaly, maybe, that uh, I knew in the sixth grade, that's what I want to do, and that's what I'm going to go after. That's awesome. So, so well, I mean, so you would say that those uh, experiences, like uh, seeing Bill Maddox and or even watching the CBS Evening News with your parents, I mean, those are big influences in terms of you wanting to be the... Uh, yeah, because the it was, when you're growing up, and you've got, you know, you're working in the fields, and everything's repetitive. You do the same thing, you know. Yeah. The only thing that's different is the amount of weeds that are on a row of cotton, you know. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. And we would listen to radio, you know, my uh, little transistor radios in our pockets. But we were covered head to toe, including gloves, in 90 degrees plus oh, yeah. temperatures. <laughs> and then walking up and down roads. So it's kind of a mundane job. So when we got home and we looked at, we looked at this little window to the world, you know, that's when you start to realize, you know, there, there's so much more out there, you know, and I, and, and I wanted to be a part of that. That coupled with the stories that my dad and my mom used to tell of, you know, moving from community to community, following the, um, you know, whatever there is to pick uh, or whatever there is to hoe. You know, my dad told me stories about going up to Illinois um, and up to Washington to pick apples. To, he worked in cotton here in Arizona at one point. Uh, he did some work in Colorado, and I just thought, wow, that's really cool too. He got to travel, you know, which I didn't. I, I, I was drawn to the stories, but I wasn't drawn to the fact that he had to go somewhere and work his ass off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, physically, physically yeah. work his work his butt off. So I, that. I, so, so the the travel bug and the window to the world that I was exposed to at the end of every day, I think, was the combination that uh, that led me down the path to uh, what I wanted to do. 
and I wanted to go and I wanted to take pictures and I wanted to travel. And those are the two things that I wanted to do. Once you got into the field of journalism, I mean, uh, what what specifically does an uh, investigative producer do? Yeah, well, we ruin people's days. <laughs> so, <laughs> a lot of times, you know, those. Um, you know, you get a phone call from us, you know, generally your day is not going to be a good day. But um, investigative journalism, unlike regular journalism, uh, which is, you know, you go, you cover a fire, you find out, you know, if the people are okay, um, you know, the, the Red Cross coming along is going to help them out, and here's how it started, and okay, we're done with it. Or car accidents, or a city council meeting, um, or things like that. We look at those things, and we investigative journalism is wired as such that you look at a house fire, you you ask the extra questions. Okay, is that the first house fire on, on that block? Uh, is there more? Do house fires happen regularly in this zip code? Um, city council, you take a look at the budget. They went over the budget today. Okay, great, and they passed it. Good. What's in the budget? So you're wired to look at things a lot differently and a lot deeper uh, into any situation. And I mean any situation. It's a blessing and a curse because a lot of people will, you know, even in a small conversation with, with an investigative journalist, um, you know, they'll throw something out and you'll ask, okay, well, you know, where's, where's the evidence of that? Or where did you hear that? Or who said that? Or, you know, cite your source. It's really infuriating for some people because they can't, they don't have the answers to it. They'll say, well, we just heard. Well, really, well, where'd you hear it from? So an investigative journalist goes beyond what you just see in front of you as to the why of how you arrive to what's in front of you. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, no. That's, that's, uh, I imagine with that, you, you really do make a lot of enemies. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there, there have been days where I take a different route home, you know, there, <laughs> right. and, and, and we look over our shoulder and, and we have a plan and, uh, in place in case someone comes to knocking on the door at, at, um, you know, just to, to, as an example, um, we have been the only television station in uh, Phoenix and in Arizona who has done some pretty critical, uh, in-depth reporting on a, a sheriff that's well-known in the state of Arizona and in the country and in the world, a guy named Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Mm -hmm. And he is uh, now going through uh, a, probably it's an eight-year-old eight case now called Melendrez versus Arpaio, where they have uh, found to and admitted to racially profiling citizens of the state of Arizona. Um, and residents of Maricopa County. Um, we were doing stories on him back in 2008, 2009, uh, how he was abusing his power, how he was using his power to um, to uh, hurt uh, anybody that, that crossed him. So somebody spoke up against him, and all of a sudden he was under investigation. Mm. And it didn't matter who. It was just this pattern of someone spoke up against him. His people would drop a dime to a, a, a favored reporter, and then that reporter would run the story, ruin the other person's uh, reputation, and then Arpaio would win. Mm -hmm. And he did, and he did that pretty consistently. Now, the the, the federal uh, U.S. Attorney's Office has an investigation going on right now. Um, 
regarding the abuse of power allegations, coupled with the racial profiling allegations, coupled with the fact that he and his office were investigating the judge who is hearing the case on racial profiling. Um, we think that, that, that his, his days are numbered in that office. But so we were doing story, we were doing really critical stories of, of, of how he operated and what these people were doing and how much money he was, taxpayer money he was spending uh, on these investigations back in 2008, 2009, when very few people were doing it. So we obviously became targets. Mm -hmm. And at one point, um, we were getting, uh, you know, tips from people inside the office telling us, you really need to be careful um, what you're doing and have a plan because they they arrested two other uh, two publishers from another newspaper that was uh, very critical of his of his work they wound up going nowhere they sued him and won but um uh they showed up at the publisher's house mm -hmm. put him in handcuffs and uh, hauled him off to jail and then and and there was there was talk that they were going to do that to me and my partner morgan lowe who's an investigative reporter with me here in, uh, in phoenix and I had a plan in place at home. We had our computers backed up with external hard drives. We had uh, the attorney lined up that was going to uh, defend us. Patty had a plan. Uh, I even taught my daughter Zola how to, uh, if someone came to the door to arrest me, how to turn on my camera and shoot it. And cause it was because we needed to have it documented. Mm -hmm. And uh, I explained to her that, you know, you, you will have to, not think about the fact that your dad is being arrested, but doing the job. You can cry later. Right. <laughs> you know, if you want to get emotional about it, you can get emotional about it later and freak out about it later. But I really need you to get that shot. And she understood. And she she knew how to turn on and which buttons to, which buttons to uh, to uh, operate the camera in the wow. basic sense. So we we we've had you know situations like that where we've had to be uh, very cognizant of our surroundings and, and what we say and what we do. Yeah, but see, the other side of that is um, like a, a desk or drawer full of Emmy Awards. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's worth it. <laughs> well, there's I, I have 20 statues, uh, so 20 Emmy Awards. Oh my God. I'm a oh. member of the uh, the Silver Circle, which is... You know, once you serve, 20, you know, work 25 years in the business, um, you your name gets nominated and it goes to a committee and they vote on whether you're worthy enough to be a member of the Silver Circle uh, for the uh, National Academy of Television, Arts and Sciences. And I was a uh, I was a uh, first ballot uh, uh, accept, uh, accepted in my first ballot. So my first attempt, I was accepted. Wow. Uh, I have uh, three Edward R. Murrow Awards, which are named after, um, you know, one of the best journalists that we've ever had in this country. Um, I've uh, been a part of a team that won a Peabody. So I'm not a Peabody Award winner, but I was I contributed to that award because that's a much larger award than anything else I've had. And way more, way more Associated Press Awards than I can I don't. Even, I can't even put a number on those. But yeah, I, I'm. I'm doing okay in the in the hardware department. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, they're all well deserved because I've seen uh, like clips and, and read articles when I was checking research on him. I was like, wow, he's does like you work on you work on a lot of stuff. I mean, because even here in, in Dallas, like I don't know that our our journalists do as hard hitting a job as as, as you do. And, and thank you. I thank would, you. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple of good journalists, really good journalists there in Dallas. Uh, one that I worked with before, her name is uh, Becky Oliver. She oh, just yeah. reti- retired recently. I worked with her. Yeah, really? In Phoenix. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I I liken the uh, television business and the journalism mm-hmm. business as I mean we're we're high tech migrant workers you know <laughs> I, I I know you know Becky went from Peoria Illinois to Phoenix Arizona to Dallas um, you know I know I know journalists all over the country uh, that have passed through here or I've met somewhere else or you know everyone's always trying to move up um, and I've had the, those opportunities to move up as well. Um, you know, I had job offers to go work in the uh, Mexico City Bureau for CNN, uh, the CBS LA Bureau in Los Angeles, um, Dallas, turned down a job in Dallas. So I, I've had those opportunities to move up and onwards, but uh, you know, my uh, A, the station that I work for is, is great and very supportive and lets us do what we do. And I didn't want my daughter to, you know, to, to, uh, move from city to city, then have to make new friends. And, and because I would be working and traveling a lot, I just wanted to spend time with her. Yeah. So mine, it was more of a, it was a family choice to stay in one place and, and just do the best work that I possibly could. And, and I, and I have no regrets about that. I, uh, I, I have no regrets about that whatsoever because as no, will tell you, my kid is great. <laughs> that she is. Join us next month for part two of our interview with Gilbert Sidney. And here we are at the Hot Meskin Minute with Uncle Rob. He's going to give us a little insight on what the hell you had to be thinking when you wrote these bad movies. Hey, 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 this is the Hot Meskin Minute with Uncle Rob. We only got one rule here, baby. You don't talk bad, discredit anything that Mel Gibson's ever done, directed, or even talked about. and get along just fine. I'm not here to make you guys happy or make you feel warm. Oh, well, he's a dumb... Well, you know what? I can be your dumbass, or I can be your hero. Doesn't much matter to me. Uh, what movie did we watch? Today we watched Planet Terror by Robert Rodriguez. What was the general story? What happened in Planet Terror? Well, for me, I love the movie, so it's the basic... Uh, the government messes up. Uh, some military guys get skewed. Uh, whether it's a zombie apocalypse or uh, 
a chemical imbalance or they call a, you know, whatever it is, the disease, virus, you know, whatever you want to put it in. And then the world breaks down and there's a few people that fight their way through it and live to see the merry ending. Okay. But I love these movies. I mean, and it's not just contained to this movie. Any movie with this premise, I'm with it. There was, yeah, there was a guy with balls in a jar. No offense to anybody. Well, yeah, well, it just makes perfect sense. An Indian guy with balls in the jar. Come on, man. Oh, <laughs> either the, he was a badass sucker. I mean, I'll let you figure that out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what were the balls in the jar supposed to be about? Well, they, um, you know, it, it could have been a lot of things. It could have just been one of those quirky things that it's fun. Well, why is this guy carrying around balls? Or what I think it means is, you know, I'm going to ask you once not to f- with me but if you do you know this is what happens and that's what he told the guy when he walked up to him forget the character's name seen him in a few movies but can't remember his name and he goes hey let me fix this let me fix this and the guy's like well nope you had your chance i told you so here we go love the doctor because you always got to have the villain in this movie did have the general which was played by bruce willis but he was fighting for a cause he was fighting for his men he was fighting because he was wronged against his country but this doctor was just the plain out villain of the movie and that's why he was such an asshole uh he was skewered by a woman cheated on by another woman which i think's hot but he didn't think so so of course he's going to play the major villain role you know and he lives to the end and like they always say once you're a villain son you're a villain to the end oh the doctor's wife uh i believe she's just i think she's just a you know, she had a kid with the man and figured out later on she was more in love with women and couldn't get out or couldn't get away. And although she was persecuted a little bit in the movie, uh, I think everything that happened to her particular character in the movie was pretty well deserved. Cherry Darling. Every great movie has a f***ing hot broad, man, and you just need Cherry Darling. I mean, you know, the the acting was suspect and the things she did were a little, little over the top but man you know there's a lot to say about having a hot girl in a movie that can act i mean look at jessica but she's made a f-ing living out of it and if she can do it this broad definitely can too oh uh what was the reason for her leg amputation i think it's just a sequence in a movie kind of in the mouth of madness what robert rodriguez was thinking how this movie needed to go and what he was looking for which the whole gun and the machine gun thing and you know worked out really well for me i mean i loved it uh but didn't see it coming and didn't really see a real purpose for it i think that's kind of a director thing although i did love it mr rodriguez i loved it loved it loved it i, I have no answer for what you're thinking what about el rey well let me tell you about el rey there's not enough leading mexican men in hollywood today much to my chagrin so fuck all you bastards out there running you suck my because if, if antonio banderas can be a badass in in desperado freddie rodriguez can be a badass in planet terror that's all i gotta say the scene in the car with the kid in the gun okay well number one look i mean it's, it gets back to her character you know she's the cheating whore and then the dumb okay who who in their f-ing right mind when you get off the car and you have a gun just me personally i would rather take my kid off the car with me with the gun and if we have to die we die together don't and she didn't even lock the doors okay so there's no door locking here she just gives the kid the gun and says don't point it at your face and what happens when you tell your kid and he drops the oreo on the floor don't pick that and eat it son what's the first thing he does he waits till he turns your back and he picks up the oreo and he eats it so there it is it's funny because it's true uh mexico is just a safe haven and uh it's freddie rodriguez he's mexican what's the first thing he's gonna say Go back to Mexico, baby. What was the importance about the brother not giving the brother the recipe? That's the question we need to ask, right? Okay, so this is this is the answer. Anybody out there that's my age, older, or maybe just a bit younger, we all know it's hard being brothers. It's hard being brother and sister. It's hard being family. So the guy sitting there, he's like, the brother owns the building, but the 
other brother makes the great barbecue sauce and the great barbecue. He's like, well, I, you know, why are you raising the rent? And he's like, well, I won't raise the rent if you tell me the fucking secret to the sauce. Because I'm not going to tell you a shit. I'll take it to my fucking grave. So at the end, the brothers find their final bonding moment. And uh, he goes, well, do you want this sauce or not? Or, you know, you got to watch the movie to get it all because I'm not going to give it to you. If you, if you really want to know how it goes, you got to watch the movie because I can't do it as good as they did. They just did it perfect. But at the end, uh, at the end is about family, uh, connecting, and in the end, finding the right way and knowing how to love each other. And to me, that was the best part of the movie. Robert Rodriguez is, uh, don't know the man, but uh, I love his movies. This will definitely be in the drawer for a lot of years. I think I'll be 55 years old and still be watching this thing just because that's how much I get out of it. And thank you for the movie. And this has been the Hot Meskin Minute with Uncle Rob. And we're back. Welcome to our segment, lovingly entitled Mira que Luki. <laughs> Spoken just like my uncles. All right. So um, this is where we talk <laughs> about things that we're into. What I've been watching lately has been uh, Master of None. You know, it's a it's a short series from, uh, what is the guy's name? Aziz Ansari. He is the comedian most well known for his, his Tom Hatherton on Parks and Rec and his stand-up specials. Um, he, he is a really cool guy. I've listened to a lot of interviews from, uh, his, uh, like any, everything from NPR to Freakonomics and, and everything that he's been on. Uh, he, he kind of has this sense that you should disconnect from things like Facebook every now and then to get a sense of yourself and, and really just go back to discovering the world around you, which is really weird since he's like smack dab in the middle of the whole millennial you know, rise to fame, which has all been engineered yeah. based on that, you know, like. Uh, I don't, and there is a big culture shift where America is willing to accept as a as a pop icon uh, somebody who is uh, of Asian descent. Yeah. He's he's just wants to stay popular enough to get work, but not so popular that he can't live a normal life. So I, I admire that about him. And Master of None is is kind of low key. It's very almost alt comic, and in, in a sense about how it approaches everything. Some of the humor's a little bit, you know, I think if you're easily offended, you you might not want to watch this one. Yeah. I think the opening credits of episode one or the opening scene is where he's like, he's having uh, casual sex and they're worried about, spoiler alert, they're worried about if one of his little sw- swimmers got through a busted condom, you know, that, <laughs> that just kind of sets the tone for the rest of the uh the series and it, i mean it's it's pretty well done i've i've heard that it kind of fizzles out by the end of the season but i i don't know i haven't seen the end of it myself but i've been watching them pretty good i'll probably be done with it at the end of today actually so um i do recommend it quite a bit uh so if you're interested definitely pick up uh, or go into netflix if you don't have a netflix account by now somehow uh definitely get one and and watch master of none tight so it's another netflix series where the first episode has like is it an awkward sex scene? Or? Yeah. Oh, it's, are you talking to Jessica Jones? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I think that's their niche, man. They're like, yeah, really. if we can put a, 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 a peener going into a, 
of a janitor, then it's a, <laughs> it's a hit. So, um, yeah, well, just to kind of follow up on Jessica Jones, like at first, you know, and I kind of misspoke a little bit last episode, I thought it was a little bit more, um, sexual and in the beginning it is at the end, it gets a lot more violent. Um, so, you know, just, just to kind of reiterate, you probably don't want to watch that one with your kids. <laughs> the, the whole series or? Oh yeah. The whole thing. I think that oh, there, yeah. there's no redeeming child quality for it as an, as an adult, you know, it had some really cool tones that I, I ended up really liking a lot, uh, about, you know, a, I think, I think the general idea is, is, is its take on abuse and what it takes to, in a sense, heal from it, you know? So, yeah. But what are you into? What I'm into is uh, something that isn't going to come to fruition until next year. Uh, I'm extremely into... Fred, uh, are, you, the, are you a time travel? Am I a time travel? Yeah, I'm a time lord. Everybody wants to dress up like me at Comic-Con. <laughs> I'm sorry, I interrupted you. What are you into? <laughs> I can I feel the bite in that tone, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to dress up like my time traveling phone book. Or phone booth, <laughs> time traveling phone book. Huh? It's uh, like it's like yeah. Well, that that's the Mexican version. Doctor K, Doctor What? Doctor Mandersen. What I'm into is the whole uh, bring back MST3K movement, bring back Mystery Science Theater 3000, which I did donate to off their Kickstarter that they were uh, pushing. Uh, for like the last month you know i, I actually didn't I, I meant to do that i like i was like gonna go online and just go through the process because I, I i have you know contributed to kickstarters in the past and this is one that is totally right up my alley and i was like no I'll keep on doing yeah. that and then like I, I saw the thing that the deadline had passed and i was like oh man <laughs> yeah, there's so many kickstarters where i'm still like waiting on the <laughs> on the product yeah. Uh, but yeah but this one's pretty cool i mean they were uh, trying to raise money to like at the most get up to like uh, 13 episodes which they like raised even more than that so we're gonna get like 14 episodes wow. they, made, they were originally wanting like a little over 5 million and they made like over 6 million dollars that's awesome yeah so we're definitely getting that and then we got a whole new cast I mean it's still brought to us by Joel Hodgins who created the show uh, but it doesn't look like he's gonna be in the show so we're not gonna get any of them <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I I personally think that he was. I, mean, I like Mike Nelson a lot. Oh yeah, I, I like I, I like Joel. He's my favorite, just because he, he tended to be the tended to be the one that was a little bit more low key, and he had he had a way to not be offensive, even though like he was totally making fun of somebody. Like he had a, he just had class in the way he did it. I, I'm I'm happy to see that he'll be writing and producing it, so that'd be cool. Who's who's going to be the new uh, host? Do you do you? Uh, it's going to be uh, oh, what's his name? He's one of the nerdist guys. He's actually probably the one of the 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 only one out of that group that I oh Jonah Ray. Jonah Ray. Yeah, which he looks like like the stock photo of like your company's it guy <laughs> but yeah he's gonna be the new host how do you, how do you feel about him because i know you hate the nerdist you're not a big uh, fan. i like him like i said like he out of out of all of them like he's probably the one guy that i actually like out of that group and i'm actually starting to like matt myra more just because he does that fraser podcast now all right <laughs> so I'm getting, I'm getting into him now uh, and i got uh like the uber girl uh geek girl who actually like felicia day uh who does a lot of stuff she was on buffy but, and then like came out as like like the poster child for like girl geekdom and she's like an actual true like I, I would say like she's actual true geek like she's one that actually grew up in that in that culture like from birth and isn't one that just like just adopted it later on discovered it to be cool you know like so like uh i, I saw Pat oswald was going to be uh, the son of frank 
Yeah, he's gonna be the son of Frank. That's so fucking which cool. Which is really cool, yeah. And then they they haven't cast the robot voices yet, but they had a couple of people in mind, like a couple of comedians, I think. Which they're they're reaching out to to see if they'll do the voices. What is some of the benefits that are going to be coming for the, doing this Kickstarter? What uh, well, the package that I got was the the hundred dollar one, so it means like I get everything from like all the previous packages. So we get uh, we get a tweet from them oh, wow. <laughs> once the show comes out. Uh, okay, so I'll start with like the the low the low shit first before I get to the big stuff. So we get uh, a tweet from them. Uh, we get a screen credit, which I'm just going to have it as uh, the Mexi Pro Movie Show as our screen credit. That is awesome. Uh, let's see. What else do we get? Uh, we get stickers. Uh, I get a, a T-shirt and a coffee mug. And uh, then we get like uh, all the episodes uh, of that season uh, downloadable DRM free. Uh, yeah, we get, uh, what else do we get? I think we get a, a keychain and, uh, we get online access to the, uh, like the premiere of the first episode. And I think they have a section where it's like, you get to uh, chime in also with like your own insults and stuff. So that's the thing I was thinking uh, for us when this comes out, it's supposed to be, everything's supposed to be out like in uh, next November. So I was thinking of like uh, getting together and uh, doing a recording of, the, of uh, our, our thoughts on the premiere or watching the premiere and stuff like that. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. I am so down. That does assume that I won't be dead in the next year. So I appreciate that optimism. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. The way to, way to, way to, way to put the show ahead of your own personal venture. I really thought you wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Really? That's it. The show or our show? Yeah, the the Mixie Bro movie show. Oh, uh, I know, it was just an afterthought. After <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess we could do this. <laughs> well, well, thanks, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I was like, sure, Noel won't like it. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm like, like oh, they're bringing that show back. No way! Fuck off! That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was super excited. Not that you would like it, but just like in this day and time, yeah. could that could that show still work these days? No, I think it could. I think those the, sensibilities. I, 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 I'm not dead yet. Come on, man. <laughs> I I really do think that of like having witty uh, witty humor that is re- relatable to. I only thought you. You honestly thought you wouldn't like it. Just, What's the competition, Fred? They talk about bad movies. No, no, jackass. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm really genuinely excited about it. I was super stoked whenever uh, they were they're gearing up for the turkey, the holiday Thanksgiving thing, and they had announced the. the uh, MST3K uh, MST was going to be coming back yeah. and uh, and I remember posting it and then somebody said it's just you know it's just a Kickstarter so that it may not actually happen somebody responded back <laughs> on that and I was just like fuck you it's going to happen I just know it and then and then I proceeded not to donate it uh, donate to it myself but you know whatever it still <laughs> hit its goal and then some so oh man that's exciting yay me yay you Fred In, indeed yay you um man so i I, briefly i just want to drop some announcements here uh about some of the music that we had on um we had earlier you heard cherry stems uh from a band called the bright house uh they they originally some of the members were from here in lubbock and they moved to the dallas fort worth area and uh, have been kicking it ever since they have an ep that's out and we're gonna have a link in our our website where you can view the youtube buy some of their music digitally i I think there's an actual copy that you can order Uh, i may be wrong but it'll be there uh if it is and then uh we have uh the other song was uh black blizzard uh by the thrift store cowboys off their album 
The Great American Desert, which is by far one of my absolute favorite albums to ever come out of the West Texas area. I still jam that song all the time, and I think it was appropriate because uh, the story starts out in a cotton field. So uh, um, there you go. <laughs> nice, nice. We'll get all that stuff out there and be sure uh, to follow us on our Facebook, The Mexi Bro Show, and our Twitter, uh, which is uh, at The Mexi Bros. Where we're posting stuff, and I'll probably post a lot more stuff here in the next uh, week or so, especially uh, with Star Wars coming up. I'm probably going to be posting a lot of spoiler-free stuff. I probably will be off the internet for a while, actually. So. Yeah, um, myself included. I actually deleted Facebook from my phone uh, until until I see it, because I know that... You know you can log off, right? Yeah, I can, but I just deleted it, because I'm not going to fuck with it. I'm not going to be tempted to see that icon, and then... You know, oh yeah, you know, I was <laughs> intending to check on something and then like some, I, I know a lot of jackasses and I love every one of you. I swear to God I do, but some of you guys are assholes when you post stuff that I, I'm like, really? Like before we got the whole thing about con, about Star Trek 2, I, I was immediately told about it and I was, huh. I was so pissed off. I mean, like, even though it was on, obvious and we were like, and, and then like later, whenever it was the final episode of, of The Office, and then I was I was told that he comes back on the final episode, and I was like, "You, I was wanting to watch that." You, uh, oh wait, that was that was some of my in laws. I'm going to delete this part immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've been told about, and I've had the red wedding spoiled for me. I've had, I mean, there've been so many major awesome things that would have been a genuine shock to get to watch, and it's been ruined. So. I'm going to stay off the fucking internet for the next, you know, three or four days until mm. I can get to watch it myself. So, um, anyway. And then you'll come back to be like, that was bullshit. <laughs> That's true. I will say that. Mark my words. Cause oh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not backing down. JJ Abrams is an asshole and he's ruined Star Trek and he's, he's allowed, uh, or, that he, I mean, you know, the, the Star Trek that you love is still available. Yeah, but there's nothing new it that's coming out. No, here, here's the thing. Anything that they go forward with is yeah. is going to be in the new timeline. And even if it's not in the new timeline, they're going to try and set the taste based on that. And that's why I hate it because it doesn't have any of the uh, – what made Star Trek so awesome was that – or the, at least the next gen, you know. Was, when I say Star Trek, I'm, I'm really talking about next gen and, yeah. and, uh, and you know, everything that came after was – that they they really went through a lot of moral Im- issues, and they, it was a lot of the humanist views that they were trying to figure out in a world that was telling you you had to be this way or that way, or, or you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that. That they were saying, yes, you can, and and it's okay to to not necessarily, you know, be a, a an ultra conservative, or it was okay to be gay or straight, or it was okay to be in touch with yourself or to have compassion for somebody else. And the new stuff is like completely like, ah, fuck that shit. We're going to jump off of things, you know? Oh, shit up. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's why I'm not so hyped up on this new Star Trek stuff and why JJ, JJ Abrams is history's greatest monster. (sighs) There, (laughs) I said it. There, I said it. I think that, I think I quoted you. (laughs) <laughs> just now i think that was a quote from the simpsons <laughs> <laughs> uh, was it really i think so I, I didn't i didn't i didn't see that episode <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway as long as we credit it properly i guess um yeah, shit, man that was a lot of stuff 
All right. We, we want to thank everybody who supported us at the Mexi Bro Movie Show. We literally went overnight. You know, I, I literally had had uh, the expectation of having like two or three people come up and say uh, or like us on Facebook. You know, and, and that's even with family. You know, I, I really didn't think anybody was going to like it. And we like shut up to like over 50 and like you know, like next to no time. So and then and it's still growing. So I'm like. I'm I'm uh, I'm very grateful for everybody who's shown us some love and, and downloaded. I got some uh, text messages overnight about the episodes um, that you know they were listening to. I thought it was really funny, so I, I just want to say thank you very much. We do appreciate everything that everyone has done. Uh, special shout out to Wade uh, because he built a console for all of my mixing gear. Uh, just did it on the fly, and uh, and he said all it would do is all it's going to cost me is I get to take him out for a burger. So. I thought that was amazing, and I, and I use it every single day. So, Wade, thank you very much. We have some exciting stuff coming in the future. We're going to have some extra help putting together musical pieces and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, and uh, I think it's about that time, Fred. It's about that time. Well, everyone, we just want to say, um, we just want to say, live, love, and papas. Gracias. Gracias. <laughs> The Mexi Bro Movie Show was produced by Fred and Noel at the Bad Movie Mesa Studios. Musical credits to John Barry for the Black Hole theme, Thrift Store Cowboys for Black Blizzard, The Bright House for Cherry Stems, Charlie Erickson for the Mighty Saints Theater ending theme, also known as the MST3K ending theme. Please visit us at themexibromovieshow.com.